everyone, and welcome to the Dribble Podcast, your home for basketball in WA, with an inside look at the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and WA basketball throughout the 2021-22 seasons. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian newspaper, and throughout this year, I'll be joined by a host of guests who will provide you with as much insight and entertainment as your basketball brain can handle. In this episode, we'll be joined by informed Perth Wildcats star Todd Blanchfield, as he continues to impress despite an off-season plagued by injury. Plus, Perth Lynx coach Ryan Petrick will give us an update on his team's fixture changes, the stars that are leaving to represent the Opals, and tell us what's happening with Marina Mabry's foot. It's certainly been an interesting week since the last time we recorded the dribble. Matt Hodgson absolutely lost the plot for the Wildcats and slapped DJ Vasilovic in the face twice, while the team was superb against Illawarra and then didn't really turn up against Sydney. Meanwhile, the Lynx surged to the top of the WNBL ladder with their fourth win in a row, all in different cities, and they did so in one of them without Marina Mabry. We still don't have any real info from the WA government about how our sporting teams can play in Perth, but one thing is sure, if our teams can shut out the real-life issues they are dealing with, they are going to be there when the whips are cracking. And one of the keys to the Wildcats at the moment is this man. Finds Blanchfield. Tough knockdown in the corner. To Blanchfield, who's been hot. Might as well put it up. Blanchfield delivers. Everything running through Blanchfield, and why not? Blanchfield from outside. Got it. Yes, he's in bloody good form at the moment. Todd Blanchfield, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Hey, guys. How are we? Going very well, thank you. How are you? What's it like down there at the moment? You've, you've got your, your fiancé, who's just landed in Tasmania. Must be a hell of a lot better than what it's been the past couple of weeks. Oh, for sure. It was um, obviously she was she was up in uh, North Queensland seeing her family, and you know it was just unknown when we were both going to be able to get back to uh, Perth and actually spend some time together. But yeah, she uh, had a bit of a rough travel day, but um, yeah, she she made it down uh, a couple of days ago, and um, yeah, it's been it's been unreal. So she decided not to stay in Perth, obviously, given that you weren't going to be here. It was important for her to be able to get away, and 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 he said go back to Queensland and spend some time with other people rather than being stuck here by herself. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, her line of work, she works at a, at a primary school as well. So obviously she had the school holidays. So that was, um, it all sort of all fell into place if you're looking at it from that perspective. You know, obviously her family and all her family and friends along with mine are all in uh, all in North Queensland. So it was just a perfect time to get back because she hasn't been back in probably a little over 12 months now, maybe more. So what's she doing with her work then, given that if she works at a primary school, school's literally just started. Um, how's she handling that? So yeah, she's right, obviously... Um, she's an education education assistant at um, Hillary's Primary, so she was just on a she was on a contract until the end of the last school uh, school term, which would be finished term four. So obviously that contract had ended, and then with everything not being able to, with unsure being able to get back into the state and everything that's sort of gone on with that, it's just sort of yeah, it's put all that on on hold, you know. So at the moment, you know, if she's got to go back, she's just got her G two G pass approved today, which was nice. So. She gets back on the, obviously, the 5th of Feb, and then she's got a two-weeks quarantine. So, yeah, um, she'll have to do that by herself, which is a little bit unfortunate. Hasn't been easy for you two, I would imagine, given when you came to Perth, you would have been expecting COVID to slowly start to whittle itself down and be a lot easier. Suddenly, you're in a hub last year, and the airport scenes when you guys got back was a bit like love, actually, with her jumping into your arms, and she had a big sign welcoming you home and stuff. You can see the relief on her face at that moment. How tough has it been for two people to move interstate, not really knowing a lot of people, and then have you shunted off elsewhere? Yeah, I mean, that's it's it's definitely been difficult. You know, it's 
obviously, we, and you know, we when we are together, we do spend a lot of time together. So it's definitely a little bit different for us. And I guess the worst part is just the unknown, and it, it, nobody knows as to what's going on. So it's not like anyone has answers for us either. So that's from our perspective, but also the basketball perspective as well. You know, that's it's almost like you're sitting in the dark and just waiting to sort of be told what's happening next, if that makes sense. So it does get a little bit frustrating, but the same at the same time. I mean, all we can really focus on is what we can control. And, you know, obviously right now we're together in Hobart and we're just enjoying our time together. How are the wedding plans going? You wouldn't have had much to do with it yourself, would you, Ben? The bloke who's not even in the state for... for how's that all oh, mate, progressing I've, I've, at the moment? I've, I've done 95% of it. What do you mean? <laughs> nah, that's... Uh, I um, have been very fortunate that just um, a few years ago was a, uh, a wedding planner, so... She's got a very good idea of what's going on, but yeah, everything's falling into place really well. We're getting married on the 23rd of July next year, and then back home in North Queensland. So yeah, no, very exciting, and we're uh, definitely looking forward to it. I'm really curious about your life. You're 30. It's a really, in- and you've had a really interesting past decade. Really, you've played in Perth, in Illawarra, in Sydney, in Melbourne, and in Townsville, all in the, in the NBL. And in the off season, you've been back in Mackay, and you played New Zealand as well. You've been in Melbourne Hub last year, and now you're living in Tassie. I don't reckon anyone's had a more nomadic life than what you would have in the past 10 years. Is it, is it unsettling not really having a home base that you can settle in for an extended period? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. But I guess from my perspective is, at the end of the day, I get to play the sport that I love for, for as a job. And, you know, obviously it can be frustrating moving around and I guess being in a lot of different places in sometimes if you're in, you know, if you're playing in the off-season, you're moving three, four Time, especially with all the stuff that's going on with COVID right now, you don't, as you say, you don't really have a home base. And you are moving around to three or four different places to, to live and to play. So, yeah, it is. I guess it is frustrating from that perspective. But at the same time, you know, to be able to play, as I said, to play the sport that I do love and I've played my whole life, and be able to do it, do it as a job, is I'm very fortunate, and I definitely count my blessings for that because you know it's yeah, I've, I've loved every minute of it. You do love the the travel side of things as well, don't you? You're an outdoorsy person. We saw you try actually drive across the country to get here for your initial start and you went on a bit of a road trip all, all around the country like what does your off-court like look for you when you are enjoying non-basketball things um well i guess off-season you know jess and i really try to you know we're both very outdoorsy people you know it's like this last off-season we got all the way up to Exmouth, so we checked out like coral bay um quabba station um uh, Monkey Meyer, all those places, all the way up. Obviously, I did that in reverse, but all the way up to uh, to um, Exmouth, where which was unbelievable. You know, we spent probably a week and a half all up. We got a camper trailer, so we just sort of planned a trip along the way. And you now some of those places were, you know, Quabba Station's obviously got no reception, and you're virtually camping on a farm. You know, they they heat hot water with a fire. You know, the farmer keeps the fire going all day, so there's hot water. So it's unbelievable. You know, no reception, so it's good. You know, you're just sitting there. You can sit there and have a have a beer and just watch the sunset, and you know, there's no other distractions. You know, we got a, a two-year-old two golden retriever who's full of energy, so he also keeps playing at those. Certainly a good way to live your life when you're not on the court. It sounds like a lot of fun. It has been a very interesting couple of days for the team, though. You were really good against Illawarra and then really poor against Sydney. What's been the reaction in the past couple of days since that Sydney game? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, I, when we look back and we watch film, I feel like like Sydney, they played well. You know, they, they came in, they were, you know, that's. I feel like 
as a wild, that's one thing being on both sides of the fence is playing against Perth, playing for Perth. You've always got a little bit of it. Like the Wildcats have always got a bit of a target on the back. You know, it's a very successful franchise. Everyone, you, you get everyone's A game every night. And, you know, Sydney played really well. You know, obviously they shot the ball well, they were aggressive and they executed their game plan well. But, you know, from our point of view, I don't think, I don't think we did that. We didn't execute our game plan very well. Whereas against Adelaide, I mean, not Adelaide, against Illawarra. You know, we were on point with our scout both games, and that's why we were able to come away with you know two convincing wins. But you know, Sydney, are, they're obviously very, every they're very tough at home. Every team in this league, you know, if you don't bring your A game, you're gonna you're gonna get beaten on any given night. So yeah, we've we've had we had practice today, and we addressed some issues, and we cleared up some stuff. But you know, I think coming into the uh, next game against South East Melbourne, is gonna it's gonna be a lot clearer of a picture for everybody on court. So the starts have been a real problem. One of the things I find interesting from a spectating point of view is you you guys are accustomed to. Get, getting energised from the Red Army at RAC Arena. But with all the COVID fears and crowd restrictions, you haven't been playing in front of really anyone to support you or go against you in uh, when you're, when you're in the state. There are only 5,500 people at Kudos Bank Arena on Sunday, and it holds 17,000. Illawarra and, and Adelaide games were played with half-full stadiums also. So it almost feels like it takes the realisation that the game's getting away from you to, to spark people again. Does it feel a bit different not having the energy or the animosity of a crowd to get you going? I mean, to be honest, it it felt like like in Sydney when you know Sydney got on a run and they never then they made some shots. It honestly felt like it was. I, I would have said a lot. I would have said more than five and a half thousand. So it, it definitely doesn't feel like that. But at the same time, it's obviously be hard to play at home in front of the Red Army is. It's an it's honestly it's it's an advantage. It's you know when you've got ten thousand people there all in red. Um, they're extremely loud. They extremely big fans of the of the Wildcats. They're very loyal fans. It's 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 an advantage. You know, it's almost like having a six man on the court because you know the game comes down the stretch and it's tied up with a minute to go and you've got you've got to get a, got to get a defensive stop to you know to almost win the game. It's it, it, it's a bit of an advantage. It can kind of it can really I can guess it can juice you up and you can it can really give you the advantage. So, is there anything specific that you that was mentioned to you all today to what you need to fix this week against the Phoenix? Um, it wasn't. I mean, I feel like we just didn't really execute our scout like you know the, the coaches do a really good job of you know they put hours and hours and hours of time into watching these games and watching other teams play I feel like yeah we kind of we didn't really give that that scout the best opportunity to for the, even the coaches to make changes if that makes sense like we, we wouldn't know because we didn't execute it well enough so as a, as a from a from a playing group we've got to understand the fact that what that what that involves and I think that that comes down to just being having some toughness on the road you know it's, it's hard to execute a, a game plan for 40 minutes and you know no one's perfect like everyone's going to stuff up you know we're probably going to ex- execute it for, for 40 minutes but if we can execute it for 25 minutes to 30 minutes I think that's going to be you know it's, that goes a long way to winning the game and I think it's more on the defensive end because you know, I think I don't think we shot the ball very well against Sydney but I think we still scored enough points to win the game they just obviously scored too many points on us to be able to prevent that from happening. Now, has anyone figured out yet what on earth happened in Matt Hodgson's head? You had the ball, you travelled, and then all of a sudden he well and truly lost it. Has is, is he, is he spoken to the group? Um, I mean, yeah, to be honest, I don't exactly know. Like he's, He'll deal with it in his own way, and it's something that I'm assuming he will address the group eventually. But, you know, right now he's obviously probably going through a little bit, and, you know, we've sort of just said that he, if he needs to speak to anybody, we're all here for him. And, you know, because it was, it was out of character as to what happened. And, you know, as I said, we don't need to know the full story yet. But, yeah, we've all just sort of put it, reached out and just sort of said, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. But, you know, we're all here if you need to talk. He's also got a young baby and a partner on the road as well, so life 
can't have been easy for him. And they were separated last week with you guys in New South Wales. So his, his life has certainly got some challenges off the court, which um, we, he, he spoke to us about the other week when we had him on the podcast. Now, to the Dribble Podcast MVP votes. Uh, as I mentioned at the start of the season, this award is based on the same system that the Wildcats use for their own MVP award, which is a 3-2-1 and one voting regime. Now, as part of that, media are included in voting in some games. And I was on the panel for the Illawarra game, so I won't be revealing any votes from that match, but for my the Sydney game, my votes are one vote to our guest, Todd Blanchfield, two votes to Vic Law, and three votes to Bryce Cotton, who was pretty much the only reason it wasn't even uglier in that first half. Now, Todd, your past couple of games have been fantastic. Ever since returning from the knee, you've shown you're in really good nick. What's been the key to being able to recover from two pretty significant injuries and still play really well? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was definitely disappointing to get the news I needed to have surgery in the first place in the off-season. I've never had surgery. I've never had surgery in my life before. I had my tonsils out when I was nine. <laughs> you know, it's the only surgery I've ever had in my life. So, yeah, it's definitely been, to get that news is definitely disappointing. But, you know, obviously Dan and Josh, you know, the support staff at the Wildcats, are, you know, they're the best of the best. You know, I just put my faith in them and sort of they told me to jump. I was sort of, I'd say, how high? That makes sense. So I, you know, I was pretty precise in the way I went about my rehab in the gym, especially. You know, they were big on you know strengthening everything around it. You know, make sure that when it is healed and you can start running, that everybody, that everything around it is, is strong and it's not weak, and something else isn't going to give give way. So yeah, it's definitely um, it's different for me, but. And then this, the, the second time was, I guess, it was just unfortunate with bone bruising and the stuff around the actual the actual knee was just an awkward landing. And I think it could have just, if I had landed on my on my good knee, which is my right knee, I think it still could have happened then. So just a bit unfortunate. But yeah, again, with that rehab, I was very precise with it exactly. Like I made sure I was doing everything properly because I didn't want my knee to be the reason I couldn't get back play the way that I know that I can play and that was a big thing for me and you know hopefully you know I worked hard especially shooting the doing what I could whether it was ball handling shooting whatever I could do on any given day without overdoing it because I didn't want to give myself any more setbacks I was already you know experiencing a long enough setback so yeah it was definitely interesting but I've definitely been happy with the way um, I've sort of hit the ground running again oh, it's been remarkable that that second one looked yuck when you were playing or it looked like it'd been caught underneath you and you might not get back for a while so you've done a bloody good job to manage to to get back onto the court and, and perform so well given the lack of preseason that you've had now it's been a massive week for a former teammate of yours Lamello Balls in some fair nick isn't he 29 points 10 rebounds, 13 assists on January 27 and then 23, 6 and 10 assists on, on the 31st of January. What was it like captaining him? What was it like having him at the club, the, the side show that's around him and the basketballer as well? Yeah, I mean, he's obviously an unbelievably talented kid. Like, some of the stuff he would do at training was remarkable. You know, he just turned 18. He was um, yeah, like some, as I said, like there's no really other way to put it. It was unbelievable some of the stuff he would do at training, but at the same time, like talking to him off the court, um, like after training, he'd be there playing one on one, shooting. Like he was just an eighteen-year-old kid, and it was almost like when we went on the road. Like <laughs> this is one thing that sort of sticks in my mind. It's, it's actually quite funny when we were in. So we did like a Bendigo, Ballarat, you know, road trip for about oh, five or six days. We sort of we, we drove around and played at Melbourne United a few times, and we were in. We finished the game in Bendigo, I think it was. No, oh, Bendigo, Ballarat. I can't remember which one it was, and <laughs> we sort of had we had a signing session after it. And there was myself, uh, Tim Conrad, and someone else was sitting there. And he was next. He was fourth in line. And the line just went straight, and then it just veered straight to him. And then that was it. He sort of just <laughs> cut out the first three guys that, um, that were in line. So, yeah, it just goes to show, like, he's in Australia, he was virtually a 
an 18 year old rock star. You know, everyone was there to see him. Crowds were unbelievable, and yeah, I think he did probably did a lot for the NBL. Well, yet to see the Wildcats sign an official's next star player. Although you could argue that Luke Travers is sort of filling that role within the team, given where he wants to get to. Do you how do how do you see the next stars program? Is it something you think is going to end up over here as well, and that we'll just continue going from strength to strength, given the experience with Lamelo? Yeah, I mean, I feel like well, look, if you look at the people who have sort of done it, now, even look at you know Lamelo a couple of years ago, and then last year, obviously Josh Giddy, he's played him into a very vital role into OKC so he's picked himself up to Rookie of the Month now so yeah he's obviously that next star program is it's obviously doing it's exactly what it's put in there for and it's working so you know I think the NBL is it's a very extremely good league and I think it's very it's, it's underestimated around the world so to keep bringing those talented guys in and then opening that pathway up for them to actually get to the NBA is it goes to show that you know the NBL is it's the real deal because it can get you ready for the NBA now we have a segment on the Dribble Pod podcast called This or That. Can't sit on the fence. Got to answer a real question. And what we're looking at with the issue this week is we've seen so many sports trying different things during the pandemic. You guys lengthened your season last year. Other sports have made their shorter. But they've all attempted to keep finals untouched. Do you think finals would be be better if they were a longer series as they are overseas? Or do you think at the moment where they've they've hit that sweet spot where it's not too long, it's just right? Um... We're talking semi-finals or grand finals? Entire final series. Make them all best of five, best of seven. Where do you think it's it the best of three and best of five the right way or, or should it go for longer? I mean, I feel like I'm going to say it's pretty, I'm going to say it's hit the sweet spot. I like it the way it is. If you can't sit on the fence, that's uh, that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out pretty well last year as well, didn't it, with the, with the best of five in the, in the grand final series as well. With a couple of injuries, that would have really dragged on if, if um, you guys were struggling to put some people on the court, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely frustrating, obviously. Definitely sits in the back of your mind but obviously we've got a completely new group this year and we're building obviously back towards that point. So yeah, it was definitely frustrating, but we're doing what we can this year. Well, look, thank you very much for joining us today. Given you uh, with your, your, your lovely fiance over there, I'm sure she wants to spend more time with you rather than you talking to us. So thanks for joining the Dribble Podcast. We really appreciate your time and good luck for the rest of the season. Awesome, mate. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And now it's time to enter the lair with the man responsible for this team. Scherf out to Wickham. Lovely ball movement from the links. Garbutt in the corner. Big three, that one. Off the rim. Young the rebound. Hurry, finish her first points as time expires. Mabry again! You're kidding me! Yes, he's the coach of the ladder-leading Perth Lynx. Ryan Patrick, welcome back to the Dribble Podcast. Craig, thanks for having me, as always. Last time we spoke to you, it was just before you stepped onto the court for practice a, while, a couple of weeks back. This time you've stepped off the golf course for, to come and speak to us. How are you hitting them? Uh, not good, but uh, <laughs> plenty of time to search for balls in the, uh, in the bush. We've got the girls three days off, so uh, not hitting them well at all. Um, but that would, really wouldn't surprise anyone who's played with you before either. Ah, it's all about value for money, isn't it? That's what I reckon when you play golf. The more times you hit the ball, the, more, the less it actually costs per shot. Yeah, but then when you buy a box of AVXs for 76 bucks and you lose literally all of them in a round, um, not the greatest value of sport of all time when you're playing poorly. <laughs> so uh, giving everyone three days off, that's obviously really, really important for them at the moment because it's been a packed schedule. 100%. And also, like one of the quirks, I guess, of um, being on the road, when you brought 12 players, um, which for a normal road trip is plenty, but on this type of road trip where we've now lost two girls for Opal's commitments and Marina's got a sore foot and Emma Clark's in COVID protocol, or COVID protocols, she's in concussion protocols, um, we're down to eight bodies right now to train anyway. So, listen, we've been on flat out for three and a half weeks straight, take three days off, 
rest your bodies. Um, we'll get back on court tomorrow with eight players and see what we can do. So let's get on to the news of the day. The WNBL season is now going to be 18 games instead of 21, and the postponed games from earlier in the year have been officially cancelled. What was your reaction to the reduction of the number of games? Um, well, kind of. We kind of expected it, um, just because you're looking around where uh, where can we fit these games. Um, you can't extend the season out because players have got to move on to other things uh, and they're not contracted forever, obviously. So we've got to get the season wrapped up. We've also got to literally shut the league down for the best part whilst the Opals are away. So those two things make it really tough. And then obviously the border situation as well was where are you going to fit these games in? The men's NBL, they just kept playing. Um, They sent over some DPs and whoever else to play for Australia, whereas we've had to send our Opals. Um, So it's just with our league. How else you make up the games, you just can't. So you've played the eight games now, which leaves you with 10 to go, and you're in a really good position. The, the league has announced the next three weekends, basically. So you play Melbourne on Saturday, then it's Bendigo on Feb 12, Adelaide Feb 19, and Southside on Feb 20. They're obviously all in Victoria, but am I right that you guys are still holding out hope that some of those games could potentially come back to Perth if something can be arranged? Yeah, so, and that's what's still happening in the background, obviously, and a million times higher up than my pay grade. Um, like, again, Brent Dawkins, our GM, is in literally high-powered meetings 24 hours a day right now trying to find a solution to the border issue. Um, so when Brent tells me what's going on, we'll move on from there. I know we've got another meeting with the team tomorrow, um, and right now everything's just kind of a guessing game. So you had a meeting on Friday with the league. Has there been any commitment around dates of how long you are guaranteed to be there for, or are you still in a week-by-week scenario? Uh, very much week by week, just because we're not sure what's happening with the border. So clearly there's some kind of theory in front of us where we might have to send the season out on the road, and that has all kinds of ramifications that we're trying to avoid, obviously. So we're still obviously working towards plan A. Is there a way to get this team home? Um, and from the sounds of things, we'll exhaust every avenue there humanly possible first, and then look at the staying in Victoria solution if we have to get to it, but clearly... We want to avoid that at all costs. So the team's clear focus is to get back to WA as soon as possible and play what is classified as dirty games while, while, while basically while you're still in quarantine at home. That, that, that'd be the way you'd be trying to get it done, wouldn't you? Yeah, whatever gets us back to Perth. Again, got to remember the players left Perth knowing that Feb 5 was the day McGowan gave everyone for certainty to get back into WA and then literally changed that 16 days out and we were already stuck over here. So that's clearly what we're going to work towards first and foremost. Um, and if we can pull it off, great. And if we can't, I guess we'll get to that bridge when we get to it. Have you got anyone specifically who's going to struggle to, for work reasons or for family reasons who knows that there's a, a pressing deadline for them that they need to be back in WA? Or is everyone at least able to stay if you have to? Uh, yeah, each to their each to their own. There's a, everyone's in a different camp. Um, again, we have 12 different players with 12 different um places in their life right now so and again this is not what anyone signed up for so literally case by case the biggest one with the players speaking to them as a whole is they just want what are the what are the actual options um so clearly we have an idea what one of the options might be in terms of staying over here for the entire year and that's clearly not palatable for a lot of players but as i said brent and co with um rob and evan and adam Bolden coming back in perth like still working on a solution can we get back to perth so just trying to give that as much time as humanly possible i guess the one upside if there has been anything at all is that we're stuck here till feb 5 anyway so uh kind of same thing i said last week uh to jace when he interviewed me um if we had to have a vote the day after mcgowan changed his mind 
um, we would have been on a plane home. But the reality was we couldn't get home anyway. So we've just kind of had to stick out these last week and a half, two weeks, hoping against hope against that something changes back in Perth. Um, and if there's a solution there, clearly we want to look at it. So from a fixturing standpoint, it's now a bit more like an AFL season than a basketball season. You play every team twice and then you've got four teams three times. And who you get three times is going to be really, really important. We're already seeing that Canberra have played Bendigo twice in the Sydney Uni Flames twice in their fourth. Townsville a fifth and they're going to play the Flames three times with the way that the fixture has currently been announced. You'd, you'd rather get those lower teams three times than the top teams, I would have thought. Has ladder equality been discussed in how it's going to, the, the league is going to avoid ad, making it advantageous for one team and a disadvantage for another team? Yeah, it's clearly not ideal. Um, but again, like right now, we've got 50 things on our plate that aren't quite right. And trying to go, and you're 100% right in a normal year. If that's all we had to focus on, clearly we'd be up in arms about it. But right now, um, can we get this team home to Perth is our only real priority. Uh, from memory, I had a quick look at the schedule. If, correct me if I'm wrong, we've only got Sydney twice and Bendigo twice, and they're currently both sitting seventh and eighth with two wins between them. So clearly we'd rather have those two teams three times each in theory. Um, but again, right now, we're just adding things that are problems instead of trying to solve problems and we can only control what's in front of us. And what's in front of you is the possi- the strong possibility that Sammy Wickham and Darcy Garvin won't be playing for you this weekend, given they're in the Opal squad of 16 at the moment who are off training, and that will be reduced to 12 before they travel to Serbia this weekend. But you do play Melbourne, and they've got Kayla George, Ezzy Magbagor, and Tess Magin in that squad. It's, it's obviously a challenge this weekend. How are you getting your head around the fact that you're most likely going to be without those two? Yeah, no, great, uh, great questions, great problems. I'm um, literally spent an hour on the phone with Guy Malloy, Melbourne's coach this morning. Um, and it sucks because obviously we both think we're pretty good teams, both challenging for the championship in theory. And this is now the second time we've had to play them and they've been undermanned. And clearly, in theory, no George, no McBegger, no Madgen, no Whitcomb, no Garvin potentially. Um, like, what are we getting out of playing this game in terms of like a scout for going forward? But as we said earlier, if we don't play, we're just never going to get the season done. So we'd love to play these guys at full strength. We'd love to play them in Perth. We'd love to play them in Melbourne. Um, but it's just, it is what it is right now. You wouldn't spend an hour on the, on the phone with an opposition coach during the week too often, would you? Uh, more than you think, actually. I've had a lot of head coaches uh, and assistant coaches reach out. And that's been the really good thing in fairness um, to the league. Obviously, it's a competitive league and there's a lot of white line fever and everyone. Or there's no one that gets along when the games are going on. But certainly off court, the amount of head coaches and assistant coaches that have called, just checking in, just checking how the team's going, just seeing how the coaching staff's going. Is there anything we can do to help? Um, the camaraderie of the league has been exceptional. Um, so, no, more than you'd think. Did you ask him his tactics as well along the way? Who are you, you going to play in this position? How are you going to take us on? No, one guy wouldn't tell me anyway. So, <laughs> no, we, we've, we've been really good mates for a while. Um, he's helped me out throughout my career. He's, a, as I've said before, he, um, he certainly has some fingerprints over how we play offensively and the things I was able to learn from him as a scout and as the lead assistant with the Lynx um, through those five years, scouting his offences and why he changed his playbook year in, year out. Certainly, I think his brain a lot as the years have gone by. And there's certainly a reason why we play the offensive style we play has had a lot to do with how guys run his Melbourne Boomers teams over the years. Now, I assume that given that Alex Sibatoni's had some chances um, in the past to start and Alex Sharp started all through last year, would that they just walk into the, the starting five given you're going to be without Darcy and Sammy? Yeah, certainly you would expect so. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're just trying to get through day by day right now. So where's Maroon at? Where's Emma Clark at? Um, does do Wickham and Garvin both make it? Obviously, clearly, hope, we hope they do. Um, and then obviously, who exactly is making it for Melbourne? But certainly, we know we've got some ready-made players um, that are more than happy and more than able to walk into that starting. 
starting five if need be. Talk us through Marina's foot. Where's it at after the scans and the, and the subsequent follow-up to with the assessment of how her foot is feeling? Yeah, still working on it. Um, again, she's reporting pain in it. So and it's getting better by the day. We're told. Um, same kind of thing I told you on the weekend. Just the interesting one with this is because there's two sets of doctors to go through. Um, clearly, if a garvin or a sharp or a chibitoni gets injured, they would just deal with our medical staff. Whereas when you have a Woodcombe and a Mabry and a Young, obviously they've got two employers. So you're kind of doubling up everything. And that's, in fairness, we can understand why. Um, but clearly Dallas have a lot of interest in what's going on with one of their star players coming into a contract season. And clearly we're trying to manage it. And again, another added wrinkle of being on the road is that our head doctor, our head physio, our head S&C coach are all stuck in Perth. So they're liaising with Bendigo or Ballarat doctors and physios, etc., and then they're all relaying that onto Dallas. So there's a lot of double and triple handling. Um, but yeah, long story short, we think it's going to be okay. But again, pains each player is different, and we'll keep getting reports on it daily. So, do you think she'll play this week, or are you, is it still way too early to know? Uh, way, way too early. And again, if we play, we we think if we can get this team healthy, and if we can get this team to Perth, we think we're going to give this thing a real shake. So, is there a need uh, six and two, especially? Well, we're not exactly playing for our season this weekend. Um, clearly, we'd love to win it, but if we've got to give her an extra game off to get her 100 percent cherry right, but that's, that's what we'll do. If we were one and seven and our season was hanging by the brink different story and what about Emma Clark she should be out of concussion protocols or is it Wednesday or Thursday where she's she's available to train again yeah I thought it was Wednesday but we'll wait and see um I, I thought it was Wednesday but I know um she's been she's tested it a few times with our with the S&C coaches over here and same process well we're not in a rush worst case we've got eight players against Melbourne best case we've got ten if Garvin and Whitcomb both make it. And how's her concussion element been? Like, everyone handles it differently. Is she, she was on the bench the other day, which is a pretty good sign that she was okay to be in the building at least. Yeah, and, and the second part, um, so this, uh, where was the last game? But just the games are all getting blurry to me. That's right, she did it there. So we were in Ballarat, so we are home. Sorry, there's the game before we had to drive two hours to Southside and then almost three hours back with Roadworks. Uh, that ga- that was the game we left her back in Ballarat. So, you know, she's on our bench. Um, again, really good kid, really high spirit. And same thing we've said before about Emma Clark. We've got really high ambitions and high hopes for her future going forward. Um, so same process. We're not in a rush with her at all. And to, so if we go to the Dribble Podcast MVP votes from the last two games against Southside, I've gone one vote to Sammy Wickham for her 16 points, including four three-pointers. Two votes to Jackie Young, 19 points in a real step up to show what she can do. And it was three votes to Marina Mabry with 22 points, six assists, five rebounds and three steals. And when you go to the win over Bendigo, I've changed these multiple times since the game. And I'm still not sure I've got them right, given the impact all three of them had. But I've gone one vote to Jackie Young, 24 points, and made her opponents look silly at times. Two votes to Lauren Scherf with the remarkable stats of 17 points and 16 rebounds. And three votes to Sammy Wickham, 23 points, five rebounds, four assists, and three steals. I mentioned Lauren in the voting there. She's second in the Dribble Podcast MVP award behind Marina, but she isn't in the Opal squad. Are you surprised that she didn't get more of a look in? Um... Yeah, how politically correct do you want me to be? Um, <laughs> astounded, shocked, 
um, outraged, all of the above. And I get every coach wears their, wears their team and cap and every coach is biased. But certainly from our point of view and the criteria that was put out by Basketball Australia's high performance that how important the WNBL season was and how they're looking over every game and WNBL form was critically important. Um, with those things as the guideline, I'm not really sure what else Lauren was meant to do other than kill it. And her team is 6-2 and two, um, and she is murdering it for us. And she's got to sacrifice a lot as well as the other bit. Um, her numbers would be crazy higher if we didn't have so much talent. So, again, the coaching staff of the Opals are welcome to pick whoever they want. But, yeah, to say we were surprised would be an understatement. So there's been reports in the past couple of weeks about another Lauren being Lauren Jackson plotting a comeback at the age of 40. The World Cup is in Australia in Sydney this year and there's suggestions that maybe she would get herself up for that. That would really have a big impact on younger players such as Lauren Scherf. What What are your thoughts on the idea of bringing someone like Lauren Jackson out of retirement? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in all honesty, I reckon I spent 30 seconds thinking about it just because of everything that we've got going on over here ourselves. Um, so that'd be uneducated comments and uninformed as well. So I'd rather just give it to myself. Clearly, she was a, a really special player back in the day and had to be medically retired. And she's gotten over that, as you've seen with Alex Bunton getting back for Canberra when she was medically retired. So wish her all the best. But in all honesty... I spent less than 30 seconds thinking about it with the mess wearing over here. Yeah, there's a bit going on for you guys. It does feel a little bit from an outside looking in that if the former head of the WNBL, who's now the head of Basketball Australia's Women and Girls program, coming out of retirement to play for the country, it's a bit like Justin Langer saying, we're struggling to open the batting, maybe I'll go in as the coach and, and, and play with David Warner. It just doesn't feel like <laughs> sending the right message to players, I reckon, but you're not going to say that. Um, championships are bloody hard to win, and you've been mm-hmm. in through so many finals campaigns and state league campaigns a, a, as well. Like, when you yeah. see where this team is in terms of talent and the opportunities that are, are there and how little they come around, does that help to push this team to go, well, it's not easy at the moment, but this is a special group? Yeah, and I think that's probably part of the reason why we haven't already packed it in because um, the players know how close they are. Um, like they can feel it. They know the offense um, is going to get them 90 points in their sleep. So can we defend anybody? And if we can, the quicker Sam, Jackie, Marina, Darcy, Loz figure out their starting five unit and they all find a way to sacrifice a little bit, push and pull a little bit, like how special they could be. Um, the under understated thing in any championship or premiership or whichever sport you're playing is you need a big slice of luck um, to go along the way. So if you lose a couple of star players, it's all over. And you've seen it again and again. Clearly, we, we're just trying to get this team home. We'd expect to be 15, 20% better at home than what we are on the road. And conversely, for our opponents, we'd expect them to be 10, 15% worse needing to travel to Perth. You've seen our teams rock up to the um, Perth Arena. Um, with the Red Army in the background to like how much harder it is to play in Perth. So we know everything's right there for us if we can get this team home. But as I said before, you need a big slice of luck to win any kind of championship. You need a lot of talent, but you need a little bit of luck as well. And you need some defence at times. You said you struggle to look at the way that you defend at times. and You are a, bit, a little bit like the girl with a little curl right in the middle of her forehead when it comes to defence. When you're good, you're very, very good. And when you're bad, you're horrid. Um, do you look at them and think they've got so much talent that sometimes they know that if they flick the switch, they'll be okay. And But you can't afford to be trying to flick a switch when you come to the, the business end of the season. And it's literally word for word what we've been saying to them for weeks. Um, because they have, especially from our point of view, it feels like they've just been a cat playing with a mouse the last four games in a row and in all four games they've gotten down they've been in trouble crowds been cheering for the opposition yada 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 and they've just gone you know what we're going to start trying now and as soon as they've done that it's been night and day how quickly we've accelerated away from the opposition um it's just how it feels when they lock in defensively they can be a really special unit 
clearly we've gone and recruited a lot of offense because we think we can teach defense um, and we think we can get a four out of ten defensive team up to a seven. But we think we're even better than that defensively when we engage. The problem is I think they find offense so easily and they know they can score 90 in their sleep that they can just get to that trap of, you know what, you guys are playing well, but we're going to score 95 tonight and it won't matter. So I kind of get it. Um, but at the same time, it's making the coaching staff go gray real quick and it's really starting to wear on them pretty thin when we go through film and show them all the defensive mistakes. And a lot of them are just attitude and effort. They're not talent mistakes. They're not X and O mistakes. It's just we're 5% off, we're 10% off. And as soon as the game mattered, we were suddenly fall. You've managed to defend COVID extremely well so far. You're the only team in the league that hasn't been impacted by someone getting it. But that leaves you as the biggest, uh, most vulnerable team at the moment if someone does get it because it can rip through you when everyone else is healthy. Is that a real fear? Uh, again, a little bit. But with the 800 other problems we've got, um, that's certainly lower down the list because you're right. We think if it does go through us, it'll sweep through us. And if that happens, as you've seen with the new schedule coming out, if a game's got to get postponed now, it's just going to get flat out cancelled. So I guess that's going through the back of our mind as well, is if we do lose four or five players with COVID, we're just going to shut it down. Um, to the girls' credit uh, and our entire staff's credit that are over here, we've now been over here for a month. Let me find a big bit of wood to touch so I don't curse us. But we've lasted over a month now on the road without getting COVID. Um, that's, that just doesn't happen. And that's a massive bit of credit to the girls. They're staying in and cooking a lot of meals, a lot of Uber Eats in, not going out, not partying, not doing anything. They're just locked into basketball slash what's McGowan doing back home. But our girls have gone out of their way to not catch COVID. Certainly, some of the players in the league have caught COVID from accidental circumstances, and that's clearly very possible. But our girls aren't putting themselves in harm's way, which is a real credit to them. Now, we have a segment on the dribble called This or That, where we look at an issue and you just give us one opinion rather than sitting on the fence. We're looking at the issue of fixturing. Now that we have seen with a pandemic that a lot of seasons can be shortened and some seasons can be lengthened, depending on what the the league wants to achieve, finals have tended to remain the same. Do you like the the way finals are at the moment with best of three series pretty much all the way through the WNBL, or would you like to see uh, less regular season games and longer final series in the future? Not for this season, obviously, with COVID, but as it all settles down, what do you think is better? Longer finals or what they tend to be at the moment? Um... Again, if, if we've got a good team, like we do right now, we'd love the finals to be best of 100 um, and have a one-game regular season. Just get straight into the playoffs. The playoffs is just a totally different animal. Um, and when you're good, they're, re- they're so much fun. The tactical adjustments and playing the same team again and again and again just naturally always gets really chippy and really feisty. Um, personally, um, I, I'm all for playing as many finals games as humanly possible. Clearly, this year, if we get stuck in Melbourne, we've got to get out of here quickly then maybe it's a best of one and just get home. But in a normal non-pandemic season, the less regular season games and the more finals, the better. Again, there's obviously asterisks with all that from an administration point of view because a lot of clubs have got financial and sponsorship agreements based on how many regular season home games they have. But from a pure coaching point of view, max out finals games all day, every day. Yeah, finals are good fun to watch. Well, look, thanks for joining us. Your life is absolutely chaotic at the moment. Your coaching's been bloody impressive. Your golf isn't that great. Um, But we hope this team can continue to stay positive win on the road, and get back to WA in a position to have a real crack later in the season. No, appreciate it, Craig. Thanks for your time, mate. Well, that's it for the Dribble Podcast for this week. Remember, keep logging on to thewest.com.au for all your basketball news and pick up your copy of The West Australian. Thanks to Samantha Rogers, as always, for her production work. Thanks to Todd Blanchfield and Ryan Petrick for their time. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Dribble Podcast.